This is Focal Point for Thursday the 15th of July 2010. Work shifting. Welcome to Focal Point, the podcast that shows you how to tap into the power of the internet in your business and your life. Now it's over to your hosts, Chris Pudney and Gihan Pereira for this week's edition. Hello Chris, how are you? I'm not too bad, Gihan. I'm feeling a little jet lagged because I've just returned from a trip to the UK. How are you doing? Yeah, very well, very well. Actually, I heard that the weather in the UK has been quite good. It's been quite a nice summer, hasn't it? Uh, the one in three, I think it is, and this was the one I, I got really lucky. The, the temperatures were over 30 degrees. It was really balmy. I think most of uh, the English were out there in their string vests and hankies on their, on their heads getting sunburnt, the sort of thing we're used <laughs> to seeing when they come to visit Perth. Well, it's quite nice in Perth in the middle of winter, and it's still sunny outside. Cold and brisk, but, st- but still sunny. We're blessed. So we're going to talk about today the idea of a a fairly new concept and almost a new word called work shifting. And uh, we're doing it today because we've had these, both both of us have examples of this. We've we've both work shifted in our lives. But Chris, you've just come back from the UK, which is one of the, probably one of the rare occasions in a year when you get to spend time face to face with your work colleagues. And I've just recently published my book, Webinar Smarts, which is all about how to present to remote audiences and my market of speakers, trainers, other information experts are loving the idea that when they give presentations, they don't always have to be in the same room anymore um, as their audiences, which is a good and a bad thing. And there's, there's pros and cons. And the, the book I've just written, which I'm hoping to get back from the printers today or tomorrow, talks all about how to run effective webinars. So it seemed timely that this, the, these examples of work shifting, uh, which we'll define a little bit later uh, coming up soon, but what we want to talk about today are the six key principles of adding work shifting to your life, to your professional life, to your business life, whether you're an employee or whether you're a business owner. So let's start with actually providing a definition for our audience. So briefly, what we're talking about is that you can do your work from anywhere, not just from an office desk. So it's similar to the idea of location independence, and some practitioners whimsically refer to it as digital nomads. Now, you might also have heard of the term telecommuting, though that seems a little outdated now, and it usually refers to the narrower idea of people doing their normal office job from home, connected to office by the phone or by the internet. So in other words, they were still chained to a desk, but the only difference was that desk was at home, not at the office. And that's kind of what I do. I've been telecommuting for about a decade now. But some of the the principles that that are used in telecommuting also inform this idea of work shifting. So in today's podcast, we're going to restrict our discussion to the sorts of jobs that are traditionally done from an office desk, although the term work shifting can refer to other jobs such as freelance reporters and photographers, And in particular, we're going to give some practical advice about how you can shift part or all of your work away from being chained to a desk. And it's interesting, when we did the research for this, uh, I looked on Wikipedia for the phrase work shifting, and it turns out to be a page which may not be around by the time you listen to this podcast. It seems to be a phrase that's invented by a company called Citrix, which is a company that I use for running my uh, webinars, using the GoToWebinar software. So it's a fairly recent term, and I've seen it around quite a bit, Chris, but maybe that's just because... Um, it's front of mind for me, and I subscribe to the work shifting blog, so it's almost become a common phrase for me, but it's not. Uh, it's a fairly new term, even though the concept has been around in the form of telecommuting for a while. Yeah, yeah. So Citrix provide a lot of tools that enable the sorts of work shifting we're going to be talking today, talking about today. Yeah, and before we get on to some of those tools, uh, I guess there's a couple of other things, a couple of related concepts, which we're not going to discuss in detail, but any time people start talking about work shifting, these topics inevitably, inevitably come up. So the first one is the idea that the whole concept of work has changed. So the idea that you do work that you love or that you merely like or, or is meaningful to you. So this is, this is, I guess, a crossover between what you do for love and what you do for money. And more and more, people are expecting it and demanding it from their jobs and from their businesses. And I've seen a couple of examples of how this has been described. So uh, Dalton Connolly, who's a New York University sociologist, has described this as weisure. Actually, I heard one of the podcasts is weisure, which is combining work and leisure, <laughs> as, uh, as the New Yorkers would say. So he has this word called weisure. Um, there's, a, there's a speaker, an Australian speaker, Kirsty Spragan, who's from Perth, but she's moved to Sydney, and I think she's moving to Brisbane now. She calls this FERC, so combining fun and work. And a little bit earlier, long before 
people started thinking about the idea of the internet, uh, Robert Frost, the American poet, where he's written a poem where he talks about uh, the idea of combining his uh, his work and his play. And, his, and I particularly remember this line, my object in living is to unite my avocation and my vocation. So what I do for love and what I do for money. So that sort of idea is also a fairly 21st century idea and uh, work shifting fits in really well with that. And the, the other thing that goes along with that is the idea that you no longer have to go to work a nine to five. That, that, that whole idea is obsolete. So it's a historical thing that people used to have to go to the office nine to five, but now that's no longer the case. Now that we've got email and Facebook and the internet and, and ways that people can communicate in other ways, that people tend to take work home uh, or work from home. And it doesn't necessarily mean they're workaholics. It just means that they do in maybe an eight-hour workday, but not eight continuous hours. They tend to spread it out over the 24 hours of their day. Both you and I are living a work-shifted life. As you said, that your, yours is probably more in the traditional telecommuting, but there are things that we do, and I think it's useful to share some of the technologies that we use to live a work-shifted life in what might have, in the past, been an office-based life. So let's go through some of the technologies, Chris. So... Let me, let, let's start with phone. So I'll start with, with my, the way that I use uh, the phone now is that I use Skype. So we're using Skype for recording this podcast, but equally I've got a Skype in a phone number, which costs me very little. It's something like $10 a month. And uh, as far as the outside world's concerned, it's a, it's a normal landline number. So they just call that landline number. But if I'm at my computer with Skype on, I can just pick up pick it up and um, talk to them, just like a normal phone call. And if I'm not, it just goes to voicemail and it sends me an email message to say there's a voicemail waiting for me. So that's my incoming calls. For my outgoing calls, I've got a very good mobile phone plan, so I pay a fixed per month, and um, which gives me a large number of phone calls. But the, the other thing I do is that I make sure that my business uh, for, for business calls, I turn off caller ID because I want people to call me on that Skype number, my office phone, and not get interrupted on my mobile phone all the time. Okay. Well, when it comes to using the phone for my work, I'm just using the plain old colour phone system, the landline system, but uh, often that involves calling uh, numbers in Sydney or even overseas, and so I've got to uh, cover the cost of long-distance telephone calls. So there are two things that I've done to reduce those costs, one of which is to just use one of those prepaid um, low-cost long-distance calling cards or to use Skype out, and that's the idea where you uh, get a Skype account, you put some money into that account, and then you use Skype software to call ordinary phone numbers, so whether they're landline numbers or mobile numbers, they're charged at a fairly low rate. Yes, and in fact, I use Skype out as well for uh, international calls. So where the mobile phone becomes expensive, I'll use Skype out. So I guess the difference, Chris, between the way that you and I are doing it is that for you, when people want to call in to you, um, for, for work reasons, for business reasons, they're probably not going to be calling, are they? Because in the UK, they're probably just going to be communicating in other ways. And if they're calling, they're going to be calling you at your office at home. That's right, they are, and, and, and other ways we'll cover later on when we talk about meetings and, um, and presentations. Yeah, that's right. Okay, so along with the phone goes the fax, so that's probably the next one to look at. And I've got a, a service that I use called mbox, mbox.com.au, for my incoming faxes. So, again, it just looks like a normal fax number to the outside world, and when they send me a fax, I get an email message with the fax attached as a PDF attachment, which is which is so convenient for me. It, doesn't, it means that note, I don't need a fax machine, and I don't need to be in a particular office. Anywhere that I can check my email, I can get my faxes. Uh, for outgoing faxes, I actually haven't sent an outgoing fax for ages. So uh, if I wanted to, I could use Mbox as well and uh, scan, in the, scan in the sheets and send it through the Mbox website. Um, but I just haven't done that for a long time. Yeah, I don't know what this fax thing you're speaking about is, Kihan. I, <laughs> I do, of course, we do have a fax machine, but we haven't sent an outgoing fax for yonks. Um, and, and nor have we received one. I think our fax is so old and broken it couldn't receive one. I think the only thing we use our fax for is making is as a photocopier kind of thing. So fax seems to be a technology that's waning uh, in uh, the Web 2.0 age. Yeah, that's right. And there are still some organisations, I guess, like banks who will want signed documents and things like that. And that's the only time where you might think, OK, I need a fax because I need something with my signature on it. And how much does mbox.com.au cost, Gihan? Is it a subscription it's, or a per document charge? 
Uh, for incoming, it's fairly it's a fairly low fee. I think it's about eight dollars a month, eight to ten dollars a month. Mm-hmm. And for outgoing, you pay per fax, and it's not very much. Again, like it's very affordable, much much cheaper than having a fax line, let alone the cost of a fax machine. But just the the fax line itself, it's um is is more expensive than using inbox. Great. So let's look at internet, internet access, Chris, because that's something that we both do quite a lot. Why don't you start with this one? Okay. Well, naturally, I have the traditional internet access, ADSL broadband, to my home office. And on my recent trip to the UK, I used a mixture of technologies. So when I was in uh, airport lounges and when I was actually on the bus between the airport and my final destination, I used Wi-Fi hotspots. The one on the bus was quite interesting. I've never actually been on a moving vehicle that uh, provided a Wi-Fi hotspot, so that was quite cool. And uh, then uh, from where I was staying, I had access to wireless broadband using uh, the the O2 3G network. Uh, so that was uh, that's the mixture of technologies I've used for internet access, both from uh, my home office and when on the road. Mine's similar with uh, ADSL broadband at home. And uh, then uh, uh, my phone provider, 3, I also bought one of their uh, wireless broadband access cards, and um, I use that when I'm out of the office or away from home. Um, it's not so good for outside the major cities, so if you want to do that, you'd have to go with Telstra because they've got the best coverage in Australia, but I really don't like Telstra and I don't want to support them, so I'd much rather stick with 3, who I do like, and look for other sort of access, like wireless access when I'm away or access in hotels when I'm outside, um, when I'm travelling outside the cities. And the other thing I do is that there's a regular cafe that I go to here in Perth. Uh, it's actually the university, the, the graduates member, the graduates club, uh, and I'm a member of that. So I spend quite a lot of time down there, and they do have wireless access. So on the rare occasions when my wireless broadband modem hasn't worked, um, or I need something, maybe a backup. Um, it's it's easy for me to get access there, so I'm quite happy to go away from home, away from my ADSL, and still know that I've got reliable access. Did you say that uh, your wireless motor, your wireless bundle for 3G access is is bundled with your um, your telephone? Do you have that free? No, it's not because um, my, I've got a mobile phone account with three, and I've never thought about bundling it. I'm not sure whether they, they do the bundles. I assume they do because most of the providers would, and they'd, they'd have incentive to, to incentivize you to bundle them together. But mm. no, I don't. I just have them completely separate. I see. Okay. Now, the other thing you were mentioning about the access on a bus, Chris, I remember reading a couple of years ago that in Brisbane, the Brisbane train system was all going to be wired up with uh, wireless, wireless um, hotspots. So while you're on a train, you could access the Internet. And I assume that you'd pay a fee for that, which seems like a very profitable version of an ISP. I don't know whether that's the case because they certainly the one on the bus that I used was free, but it was a bus service that I was paying to use. So I don't ah, know okay. incentivizing people to use this private bus service from uh, from Heathrow from Heathrow Airport, and also on the trains in the UK, uh, many of the lines also have carriages that have Wi-Fi hotspots. But again, I don't know whether they're uh, free for for people who use the train. In fact, the person I spoke to who was using it said he was travelling on a first-class ticket, so it might be something that is offered in the first-class carriages and is a way of, again, incentivising people to travel in the first-class carriages. And and that that makes sense. And the, this whole topic that we're talking about, work shifting, more and more people are doing that, and more and more people are, are demanding and are willing to pay for Internet access if it's available. Yeah. So the, let's let's move on to the idea of. Uh, so we've talked about how we get access to the the outside world, but let, now let's move on to how do we collaborate with other people. So why don't we start with meetings, Chris? Let's do that. So uh, the people that I work for, they get all their teleconferencing services supp- supplied by British Telecom. They've got a thing called Meet Me. So I just uh, when they want to talk with me or when I want to set up a, a conference with them. We use the BT Meet Me service, and all the scheduling is done using uh, Outlook. So the calendar system that Outlook provides is the way that we coordinate our meetings. And I think uh, using Outlook is a very good option when you're doing when you're coordinating internal meetings because you know everyone's got Outlook, assuming everyone does. You know everyone, everyone's got Outlook, and they're familiar with using it for exchanging emails and 
schedule in the appointments and they can reply with alternative times and so on. With most of the meetings that I schedule, they are with external parties. So I don't know what email software they're using or, and whether they're familiar even with the Outlook meeting system. So what I tend to use, uh, there are a couple of services that I use for scheduling. Uh, either just send email back and forth if it's just a meeting with one or two people. But also there's a couple of free services. One's called TimeBridge. Uh, timebridge.com allows you to say to nominate five times, five specific time slots. You send out an email to as many people attending the meeting as possible, and they they click which times they're available. So that's a nice, easy way to coordinate to say, okay, look, rather than picking, rather than telling me all the times are available, here are five possible times for a meeting, and you tick the times that are available. And you can also see what other people have ticked. So you try and obviously uh, choose times that other people can, so you're accommodating others as well. Uh, and the other one I've used is a service called Need to Meet. So needtomeet.com is a very simple website to use. You don't have to sign up or log in or anything. You simply go to the site. It gives you a little calendar, and you shade in the times that you're available. And then you can email that calendar off to other people, and they can tick the time to they're available. So again, it's a very useful tool for coordinating times. When you, when you don't necessarily want to nominate, say, five time slots, you just want to say, these are the times that are available this week, um, pick something that's, that's convenient for you as well. And even when I do a one-to-one meeting, so if I'm only meeting with one other person, I generally create a need-to-meet calendar for the week coming up and send it to them and say, look, just pick, it, pick any one of the time slots that's, that's free in there. Fantastic. Do they have um, apps for smartphones, Gihan? So need to meet doesn't. There's another one which I didn't mention, which is Tungle Me. So Tungle.me or Tungle.com, there's the same, the same website. They have a similar service and they do have a, an iPhone app as well. I found it a little bit more complicated to use. Not, not only just for me, um, because you have to log, you have to sign up for an account, you then download the Tungle software. It integrates really well with Outlook. But also, for some reason, it's not as intuitive as, as a couple of the others. So I'd much rather use something that's simpler, and it's not integrated with my Outlook, but it's simpler for everyone to use. Right, fair enough. In terms of the actual software for actually running the meeting, um, because I'm a subscriber to GoToWebinar, which is what I use for my presentations, that also includes the the next version down, which is called GoToMeeting, which is like the webinar software, but it allows, it allows me to run my meetings, even just phone meetings, Chris, uh, I can run them by phone even if I don't have visuals, if, even if I don't need visuals. I can still run it using GoToMeeting or for things like conference calls as well as to be able to share my screen. So for, at the moment, I'm collaborating with a friend of mine on a book that we're writing, and she's in Sydney, I'm in Perth, and we meet once a week. And we have the draft that we're currently working on up on my screen so we can talk about it together. And we just use GoToMeeting for that. Okay, so you don't share the document in Google Docs, or perhaps you do, but you don't use Google Docs as the way of sharing the draft that you're working on, that you're collaborating on. No, in fact, that's the way that we do it, that you and I, when we do a podcast, we, of course, we have a document that we both contribute to, but what we're doing uh, for this collaborating on a book is that we each work on a bit of the book. Uh, she sends it to me on Monday morning. I merge the bits together. And then on Tuesday afternoon when we're talking about it, we're looking at the merged version. So it's a little bit, uh, little bit more work than doing it in Google Docs. But at this stage where we're just working on the draft and we're just putting in bullet points rather than writing big tracts of, co- uh, tracts of text, it's, it's actually a very efficient way of working. Okay, great. Shall we move on to presentations then? Yep, sure. And I've already mentioned the one that I use, which is GoToWebinar, which I love. I'm doing almost one webinar a week now. Uh, and I'm using it probably two or three other times during the week for doing the sort of other things that we mentioned, like conference calls and coaching sessions and mentoring sessions and client training on using their website, things like that. So I use it a lot. Very good. Uh, we've used WebEx a couple of times, but uh, the people I work for uh, mainly have Microsoft Office and Microsoft Outlook and Microsoft Exchange. So that comes with NetMeeting. It's another Microsoft product which allows you to share desktops with other people in your organization. As well as outside it, there's also a NetMeeting client for people who don't have uh, Microsoft or don't even have Windows. So uh, yes, NetMeeting is the tool that uh, I've mainly used and we just share desktops and then we can show PowerPoint presentations or run software and demonstrate that. 
And you, you mentioned something which I was going to ask you about, Chris, that because you don't normally run on Windows, does that mean that when you do a net meeting, you switch to Windows or do you just run it under Linux anyway? It, it depends. Uh, when uh, you set up a net meeting, when it's done internally through Microsoft um, Outlook, then it's generally an internal meeting and you have to run it through Windows. But uh, there have been other occasions where we've needed to collaborate uh, and give presentations to people outside the organisation. And in that case, you can host a net meeting on, I think it's a Microsoft server, and in that case, anyone, regardless of whether they're using Windows or Linux or probably Mac OS, anyone can um, use the client on the Microsoft server. It doesn't matter what, what kind of operating system they're running. Okay, that's good. That's good that, it's, uh, that it does allow that variety. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we talked about, I guess with the, when we talked about meetings and presentations, they're more like the, the formal meetings that you'd have with people. But uh, one thing that people who are work shifting sometimes miss are the informal chats that they have, either just peering, um, like popping your head over a cubicle to talk, to talk to a colleague or to have those sort of water cooler conversations or the coffee room conversations. So you can do some of those things in a work shifted space, although it's obviously not exactly the same dynamic. You can, you can, <laughs> you can't have a drink. Of, well, you can have a drink of water, but it's just not from the same water cooler, is it? <laughs> yes, that's right. So some of this, one of the difficulties I have, aside from being on the opposite side of the planet from most of my colleagues, is the difference in time. So there's there's not much opportunity to do that in a in a face to face kind of way, in in a synchronous way where we're both present. But when there is overlap in time zones, then uh, we've got an instant messaging client on our Windows desktops. That's Office Communicator, so we can do a bit of um, IM between us. And then some of my colleagues do happen to have Twitter accounts and Facebook accounts and um, we're following each other or we're friends. So there's a bit of asynchronous communication on Facebook and Twitter, but not much. Well, I think that, that that's an important point that you make, Chris, the difference between the synchronous and the asynchronous. So synchronous means that you have to be there at the same time and asynchronous means that you don't. So quite often now people online are doing synchronous stuff like chats and instant messaging, but equally they're spending a lot of time in a asynchronous places. So Twitter is an example of one that could be both, because Twitter, if you're not around when somebody tweets something, by the time that you log on, their tweet may have disappeared off, the, off your stream. However, it can also be like if you spend your whole day on Twitter, then you see the conversations that are going on at the same time. But there are other things that both you and I use, Chris, like we participate in online forums, we read blogs and maybe comment on blogs. And those are the sort of asynchronous things which still make you feel like you're part of a conversation, even if you don't have to be there while everybody else in the conversation is talking. And uh, I find that those online forums really make me feel like I'm connected as part of a community, where, as long as I'm in the right forums, because I may post a question, and some hours or days later, somebody else will answer it, and they'll just answer it out of the goodness of their heart, just like they would in, a, in an office conversation, um, because they want to help, and vice versa. So I'll quite often answer other people's questions, and they're really grateful for that. Yeah, and you mentioned blogs, so one of the things that uh, the organisation I'm working for has is a, a workplace blog, so any member of staff can start up their own blog, and that's something I've done, so I post to blogs and occasionally I've asked questions and people have left comments that, uh, that have uh, provided useful feedback, as well as subscribing to other people's blogs outside the organisation, so ones that are on visualisation, which is my area of expertise. Yes, I guess that's one thing, and we should make this point clear, that if you're, if you're moving towards work shifting, don't expect as much synchronous communication and don't expect the same sort of feeling that you'd get as you would in, uh, in an office environment. So that's one of those things that you probably don't want, you won't be able to duplicate and maybe you don't want to duplicate. You just get the same experience a different way. Yeah. Okay, well, we've got two other points around this area about the tools that we use, Chris, and one of, one of them is about being formal and one of them is being about being very informal. So let's look at the formal one first. So there are times when you do want to do formal project work, and so how do you do that sort of stuff? Um, instead of shuffling papers and sharing papers around the office, how do you do that sort of stuff online? And we had a whole podcast about this earlier, about online collaboration, which touched on some of these ideas, but it's worth, I think, going through a couple of them again. Sure. Well, one of the tools that I found really useful for this sort of thing is a wiki. So, again, the organisation that I work for have recognised this. They've set up a workplace wiki, and it's a dumping ground, uh, for want of a 
a better term, for all kinds of documentation on the various projects and work that's going on. So that I found that really useful as a way of documenting the work that um, I'm doing. And I think that there is now very easy wiki software around, isn't there? It's hosted, so you don't even have to install it yourself. There are a number of sites that will allow you to set up a remote wiki and free of charge. That's right, that's right. Some of them are based on the idea of they just decorate your wiki with advertising and that's how they raise money. But yeah, there's no work for you to do. All you do is sign up for an account and away you go. You've got access to a wiki that you can collaborate on. Yeah, yeah. And the other one, the other tool that we've mentioned before is Google Docs, which it becomes more and more powerful uh, as time goes on because Google wants people to be using it. And so, so Chris, you and I use this for recording our podcasts. What we do is we you set up a new empty document at the start of every every two weeks, and then we each contribute to it. And then when we come to the podcast, we've got all our material together in one place. And uh, and we've talked about this in more detail as well on our past podcast. I use this for dealing with clients when we have more complex projects where we have to put together a specification and we want to collaborate on it. Instead of just exchanging email and then creating a merged document, we both work together on the same document or we all work together on the same document. That's right. Now, we're going to talk about goofing off, Gihan. I never do that. I never, ever do. It's <laughs> focused and serious when it comes to work. So I'll, I'll let you talk about this point. Well, yeah, like it is It is a fun point, but it's a serious one as well because I think that one of the things that people miss when they start work shifting is that whole camaraderie of being around other people and talking about what happened on the weekend or what you're going to do tonight and all that sort of stuff, which um, seems to be missing in a work-shifted environment. So you, you need to find other ways to entertain yourself and amuse yourself. And there are ways to goof off, if you can put it, if I put it in those terms. So I use Facebook as a fun place. So I don't do very much business stuff on Facebook. Even Twitter, although I don't use it for – I use it for business purposes and not for personal purposes, those are the sort of things that I do when I want to have a little bit of time off. So if I decide to take a break, a five-minute break after doing some job or a 10-minute break after doing a very big task as a bit of a reward, I might go onto Facebook or probably more more likely go onto Twitter and just spend 10 minutes reading all the Twitter things that have come in, maybe posting a couple of Twitter items, maybe replying or retweeting something. So I guess that's my equivalent of goofing off. Was well, very productive goofing off, Gihan. It is, and I, I think that's one of the secrets. Like, just make your goofing off time productive, and that makes me, that may make you sound like you're going to be a workaholic, but you can actually say, okay, I'm going to enjoy just seeing what other people are up to, what uh, what they're commenting on, what sort of um, articles they're posting, what they're saying in their Twitter feeds. Um, but equally, I might go and just read a, a cricket blog to see what happened in the cricket yesterday and see the commentary about it. So it can be real goofing off, or it can be like slightly more productive. Uh, but it's downtime as far as I'm concerned. Okay, Gihan, why don't we move on to why you might choose to do some work shifting. We've got a few points to talk about, both the pros and cons. Yeah, okay, well, let me start with some of the pros, and some of these might seem obvious, but it's, it may be worth saying them. So one is that you work in a more enjoyable work environment. I mean, I'm not saying that going to an office is not enjoyable, because you do have, and uh, you do have the the company of your colleagues and uh, you may enjoy just getting out of home to go to somewhere else to work but um, you can your work environment whether it's at home or going to an internet cafe or going and sitting on the beach with your laptop and internet access it can you can create the sort of work environment that you want and you can create the sort of environment that you enjoy working in and and of course if you're working from home then you then you drastically reduce your costs and time so you don't have to worry about real commuting if you're doing telecommuting so you, there's no travel cost and the travel time going back and forth from the office and of course it also means that you've got more freedom and flexibility in your work day so you don't have to do the nine to five you could wake up do half an hour checking emails replying to the most important things maybe setting up your to-do list before you do anything else in the morning and then maybe go off to the gym, have breakfast, and then get back into work, which is hard to do to set up that sort of day when you're when you have to go to the office to do all your work. Yeah, as a long-term telecommuter, I can certainly vouch for, endorse those those benefits. I don't have to spend more than an hour in traffic each day getting to and from work, and consequently don't have to spend money fueling my car. And that flexibility about how I structure my work days is a great benefit that I've really benefited from. And I'd add to that the idea that uh, productivity is increased because you generally have fewer interruptions from work colleagues. Sometimes those interruptions are, of course, productive in themselves, but 
quite often they're not, and many people can probably vouch for the idea that they go to meetings that are boring and unnecessary, and there's just so so far fewer of those when you're remote and working as a telecommuter. Yeah, I think the thing is that people respect you more because they they know that, well, they don't know what you're going to be doing at the time, so they know that to coordinate something with you, it has to be for good reason, because they're interrupting your day and interrupting theirs at the same time without just thinking, oh, well, they're at the office, so I'm allowed to interrupt them. Yeah, absolutely. The, the other thing I'd say about this whole work shifting idea is, well, like we're saying, why should you work shift? I'm just going, why not? So, and I, I challenge people who are thinking that you that you have to do it by working in an office. And as I said earlier, that whole idea of that fixed nine to five workday in an office is just something that we still do because we used to do it and we used to need to do it. You had to go to the office because that's where all the files were. That's where you had to have meetings face to face. That's how you could use a secretarial pool way back in the days when there was a secretarial pool. But none of those things are relevant anymore. So if you don't need them, why do we still hang on to that historical idea that you have to be there for, from nine to five? I, I just don't think that we need to do that anymore. And we may be just holding on to it just because we're familiar with it. Sure, that's the case. The, the reasons for having to be at an office are diminishing day by day. But there are some, uh, some flip sides to the benefits we spoke about earlier. So why don't we list some of the uh, downsides, Gihan, of work shifting? Yeah, absolutely. And I, th I think that's very true. And particularly for people who traditionally would work in an office, I think some of the things that you've experienced are probably worth talking about, Chris, because you have been, as you said, telecommuting for a decade, and you probably recognise as much as the positives, there have been some negatives as well for you. That's right, that's right. So one of the things that you do miss uh, is the team culture that you might be used to when you're working on site with your colleagues. So some of the people that I work with, until my, meeting, my, my visit to the UK last week, um, I hadn't met them face to face. I didn't uh, appreciate their different personalities and the nuances to working with them face to face. And so that team culture is something I've definitely missed by working remotely. A consequence of that is that you may communicate differently with people and not realise that you're communicating differently. So you don't get the face-to-face, -face, you don't get their body language, you send off an email to somebody and assume that they read it the same way, they interpret it the same way that you wrote it, and all those sort of things. It's, there's much more potential for miscommunication. Yeah, absolutely. And certain processes and uh, rules that uh, of behaviour within an office place are quite different from the, the, the way that you'd work independently and on your own. So the consequences of that are that you've got distractions, inappropriate behaviour and lost time. Yep, exactly. We're going to talk about some ways that you can prevent or minimise some of those problems as, uh, later on in, this, uh, in our conversation. And, and I think the other thing that I that I'll go on to Chris is that like some people are going to resist change anyway so as soon as look, regardless of what the change is whether it's positive or negative or even positive for them they're the sort of people who just like the idea of things being as they are sure conservative uh, natural conservatism and finally, I said that one of the benefits of our work shifting was increased productivity, but there's also the potential for lowering productivity uh, because it's sometimes difficult when you're working on your own to maintain focus and to avoid non-work distractions. So again, we're going to give some tips about uh, maintaining self-discipline so that, uh, that that potential for lower productivity isn't realised. Yep, so let's, let's move on to that, Chris. We've talked a lot about the benefits and how we're, how we're using work shifting in our lives. Let's talk about some of the principles, given that we've talked about some of the tools and techniques and we've talked about some of the practices. And we've come up with six principles for moving to a more work shifted life. And this is not to say that you're going to move everything to be completely telecommuting or work shifted, but we're talking about, let's assume that you want more work shifting in your life, and, um, and let's say that even in the cases where your boss or your colleagues or your clients haven't necessarily bought into this yet, but you like the idea, here are some six principles for making this work. And, and, and by the way, this applies to both employees and to business owners. Yeah, well, you drafted these, Gihan, and uh, this first one's a really good one that people might not realise, and that is simply to assume that the technology is already available. So, for example, we can access the internet wirelessly from anywhere. We can make video calls from our phones. We can run webinars from our homes and conference calls from our cars, whilst they're stationary, of course. Uh, or we can get faxes emailed to us as PDF, and we can get voicemail emailed to us as MP3 files, or even transcribed into text. 
So whatever the technological problem you think there is, assume it's already been solved. Now, this isn't always going to be the case, of course, but if you're new to the work-shifting world, you'll be amazed what technology is out there and is available. And as I say, I've been doing this for 10 years, and I'm still coming across technologies that I hadn't heard of that are making the job easier all the time. Yeah, and look, and I, I agree, Chris, the same with me, and quite often somebody will say I'm doing this, and I go, oh, my God, I wish I'd known about that because I could be doing this as well, and quite often then I will start doing that. So there's all this technology out there. How are we going to go about finding it? So uh, one of the things you've suggested is to ask your friends and colleagues and clients who are already doing work shifting or listen to this podcast, of course. That's going to be a good start because these people know about these things. Don't rely on it completely because they can only tell you what's worked for them, not necessarily what works best for you. Yep, the, the other thing that I've done is uh, I subscribe to a couple of websites and blogs. You've probably come across them as well, Chris, Gizmodo and Lifehacker, which both talk about ideas of using technology, and so they may be a little bit too techy. Uh, like most of the advice may not be applicable for everybody, but I think that they've got some really practical ideas of how to do a number of use technology in a number of clever ways, including a number of work-shifting ways. And I particularly point to those to Gizmodo and Lifehacker because they've got Australian versions, which mean that the stuff they talk about is actually available in Australia. So you're not just hearing about this new technology that's only available in California, for example. Yeah, yeah. Uh, another way of getting info about uh, work shifting technologies is to ask your ISP or your telco. Uh, you've got to take their advice with a grain of salt because in general they're going to be endorsing the products and services that they supply, but nonetheless they'll certainly let you know what they have available right now for you. Yep, and uh, it's, I think it's rare to find one provider who'll give you everything you need, so you do have to get stuff from a number of different sources and put them together in a way that's going to suit you. Absolutely. Okay, so the second principle is the idea that sometimes you just have to let go. There's some things that you can do, work that you can shift seamlessly. Uh, so you might, for example, if you have a Skype number coming into your office, you can then take the Skype, you can then travel and work anywhere. Um, and the people on the other end of the phone, call, uh, phone line don't even know whether you're working in your office or you're working in a cafe or you're working down at the beach. But sometimes you have to just bite the bullet and say, okay, I'm going to make this shift and there's going to be a little bit of pain that I have to endure at the start. Uh, and I found this, Chris, when I first got my Skype in number that was replacing my Telstra landline. People were used to that landline number and, it had, and I, I've only had this about 18 months. So for 12 years I had my office number which people knew, it was on my business cards, it was in the postcards that I printed, it was all over my website, it was in everybody's address books, and I just had to go through the process of educating them that I've now got a new number. And so I just thought, well, if I don't do it now, there'll never be a better time. It's only going to get worse. If anything, it's never going to get any better. So at some point I said, okay, well, that's it. From now I'm going to change. So for a while I kept both numbers with a voicemail to say, on the old one, to say, go call the new number. But now I've even got rid of that. And so some, 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 sometimes you have to make those difficult decisions and take a little bit of short-term pain. But you got a lot of long-term gain out of it, didn't you, Gihan? Definitely. Definitely it was worthwhile. So the third principle uh, is a very important one, and that's be disciplined. And we've broken it up into three subsections. The first is about imposing more self-discipline, then rules for your colleagues, and finally boundaries for people outside of your work, so not necessarily your colleagues. So let's kick off with self-discipline. Gihan, do you want to list off some of the ones that you use? Yeah, sure. And look, and I think the self-discipline one, the, 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 the key is create your own rules. So I'm, I'll share some, I'm happy to share some examples of what I do, but these may not be the rules for you. But the point is, make up your own rules. So it's like your life, your rules. And make up the rules, because otherwise you'll just simply be at the mercy of other people's rules. So some examples that I use... Uh, I used to have a cappuccino machine, but it wasn't very good. <laughs> it wasn't bad, but when it broke down, uh, I decided not to replace it, which means that now I need to go outside to get coffee, which is a good thing. I don't really like that because I don't drink instant coffee. So once a day, maybe sometimes twice a day, I'll just pop out of home, which is my home office, and go and get a coffee. So it's nice to engage with the outside world, get outside into the sunshine, and simply just break my routine. So that's one of my rules. It's like I don't try to bring everything outside inside. Um, I usually exercise in the mornings because that gets me energized for a productive day and I find that the days that I exercise later in the day, so anytime from lunch onwards, rather than feeling energized afterwards, I feel like I 
now I want to wind down for the rest of the day. Whereas if I do it early in the morning, I feel like, great, I've already done my exercise, I'm ready to, to get into a productive day. And again, that may vary for different people. And the other thing I've mentioned already, Chris, is when I need a little break from something, so at the end of a task, uh, I'll often just take five or ten minutes to read blogs or go on Twitter or just check email and go to my reading folder and read stuff like that. So rather than than that being a distraction, it's actually a reward for finishing a task and it's not an excuse for me procrastinating. Fantastic. Uh, something that works for me is to assign regular work hours, so kind of like having nine to five as a telecommuter. But the key here is not to sacrifice all that flexibility that you gain by work shifting, uh, still maintain the ability to um, be flexible and go and do your own thing if you need to. Uh, but having those regular hours sort of reinforces the discipline of getting some work done. Also, what's really, what I find really important and productive is to keep my work and place separate. So I don't respond to personal emails when I'm in my regular work hours. In fact, I've turned off automatic checking for emails, particularly uh, my personal ones. Again, if there's instant messaging or social networking tools that you have, switch those off when it comes to uh, personal rather than work-related um, uh, feeds. I also take regular breaks because I find that it helps me maintain focus. I sort of come up for air every 30 minutes. I've got a little timer applet on my desktop that um, reminds me to give my eyes a rest. I found I was having a bit of eye trouble. Uh, and it's also good to just do a few stretches, um, sort of break out of what you're working on, and then before you get back into it, sort of have a spend a minute or so thinking about what you're going to do next and clearing your mind and then getting focused again. And finally, the idea of actually having a workspace can also help reinforce the notion that you're at work. Uh, so it helps you to get into, get focused and uh, not let yourself get distracted. So I think those examples, Chris, are just a perfect illustration, our sets of examples, perfect illustration of what I was saying earlier about just, you don't have to follow our rules, but you do have to make your own. So like if I look at yours, like you said, you assign regular work hours, which I don't do. You keep work in place separate, which I don't do. And you have a regular workspace, so you reinforce the notion of being at work. I don't do that either. But we both successfully live work-shifting lives, but we've set our own rules that work for us. Yeah, and I don't know how you can live without a coffee machine, Gihan. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but exactly what you said, that's right. So what works for you and what works best is going to be a mixture of different people's rules and your own rules. Yeah, exactly. So the second section in this Be Disciplined principle is sets of rules for your colleagues. So for people who need to get in touch with you, so by email if it's going to be non-urgent, by SMS or instant message if it is urgent, or a phone call when it's really important, it's very good and important to let other people, your colleagues, know that they have different medium for getting in contact with you depending upon the urgency of their message. So, Gihan, do you want to give your, your suggestions for this area? Yeah, sure. And again, this is something where, especially if your colleagues are not similarly work-shifting, so in, in your case, for example, Chris, where I guess other people are in the office and they just have to communicate with you, so they're not used to the idea of living a work-shifted life. But even if they are, even if they are, their rules may be different from yours. So, for example, with Eva, who runs our help desk at First Step, she has got into the habit now, this is not something I said to her, but she's figured it out herself, that when she has email that she wants, this, she wants me specifically to respond to, she'll put the words important or please help or FYA for your action at the front of the subject line so that when I'm scanning my incoming email, I know that those are the things that I should really look at first. And the things without that, I'll still read, but they may be lower priority or they may have just been copied to me. Um, and similarly with my phone number, because the Skype number, I've got the luxury of being able to choose uh, the equivalent of whether I have, whether I unplug the phone line. So in the old days, if you didn't want to be disturbed by phone, you'd have to take the phone off the hook or unplug it. Or with Skype, you've got the flexibility built in. So if I don't want to be disturbed at all, I just don't have Skype running. And all the, the calls will just go to voicemail. There, there are other times when I'm happy to take calls, but I don't want people to see that I'm online in Skype then I'll have Skype running, but I'll have it myself set to invisible, which means that the calls can still come in and I can take them if I choose to. And at other times, I'm happy to turn on Skype and, and other Skype users can see that I'm online if they want to get in touch with me. So I, that's another of my rules. I just I get to choose how available and accessible I am. And I've already mentioned to do the same thing with my mobile phone, Chris. So because we've got a help desk, 
clients don't need to get me on my phone as a general rule. Uh, they do need to call me from time to time, but it's very rarely for something that's so urgent that they need to get in touch with me immediately. So I have my caller ID blocked, and I don't give up my mobile phone number to clients. Uh, and the, occasionally when I do, so when, when, when we're meeting somewhere and it's convenient for them to have my number, they get the number, but I make it clear to them that, hey, please don't save this in your phone. And even if they do, my voicemail message saying, says, if you're calling for business, please call the help desk or call my work number. Right. In my situation, most of my colleagues are in a different time zone from me, and so generally they they know that, and so the way that they get in contact with me is by email, and then there's tools for flagging emails as having particular priority, whether it needs following up or is urgent or low priority. Some people use that and some people don't. Uh, but to, when I'm giving out my landline number, say if I've logged a case with the help desk, one of the things I need to reinforce with people who aren't necessarily my colleagues, the people on the help desk are in an outsourced service, I try to reinforce the idea that I'm in GMT plus eight, and as the help desk is located, I think in Eastern Europe, uh, in fact, I think they've got a, a kind of several help desks depending upon the time of day in Europe. Mm. So sometimes it's served out of Ireland, sometimes Eastern Europe, sometimes the US. Uh, I need, so I reinforce the idea that I am in GMT plus eight so that I don't get telephone calls in the middle of the night responding to a case that I've logged. It still happens occasionally, but uh, I think the reinforcing tends to work. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And you do have to do that sort of, you know, it's like set those sort of rules for people who, who aren't familiar with them. And most people aren't. I, I still get people who don't realize that I'm in WA. And uh, so whenever I'm, for example, schedule meetings with them, I make sure that when I specify the time, I either say, this is 2 p.m. your time or it's 2 p.m. WA time, so please add two hours for you. Yeah. Okay. The, I guess a, as a general point about this whole idea of setting rules, Chris, is that there seems to be a natural urgency attached to different means of communication. So it seems like, uh, like in the old days, like fax, fax was seen as more urgent than email. Or nowadays, a call on your mobile is seen as more urgent than a call to your landline. Uh, or a text is seen as more urgent than an email. Now, that natural urgency may not match the rules that you want to set for the way that you live your life. So I think you have to think very carefully about whether you're going to respond based on that natural urgency that's attached to the medium or whether you're going to respond based on your rules. And maybe sometimes you have to subtly educate people to get them to understand your rules. Otherwise, they might just feel offended that you're saying, okay, what, you're not, you're not going to respond to texts anymore? What, what's wrong with you? <laughs> but sometimes you just have to, you have to manage your own time effectively. So, for example, if you set a rule that says that you'd love people to send you email to, uh, and that's the quickest way for, for you to respond to them, then make sure that it is. Make sure that if they do send you an email, you respond promptly. Not necessarily immediately, but you do respond promptly. And uh, if you want to discourage people from, for example, sending a text instead, then maybe you just sit on the text for a while and you don't send it or you reply to them via email just so that they get used to your way of working. And as you've said, you do so subtly. Yeah, exactly. And it doesn't have to be – it's not necessarily secretively. Like you make your rules really public and you make it – so you, you be as accessible as you can. So I'm not saying in any way that you – Block yourself off from people, but just tell people this is the way I'd like to, I'd like to communicate, and I'd like you to communicate with me. And when they do, just reward them for that. So, so be prompt, be courteous, be be comprehensive in your replies. And if they don't follow the rules, try to channel them back into the ways that you would like them to communicate. Yeah. The final section that we have in this be disciplined principle is setting boundaries for people outside of your work who might otherwise impose on your day. So not necessarily your colleagues. And as a telecommuter, I'm working from home. So Shri and Lauren, my, my family members, they know when my work hours are. So as I said earlier, I've got regular work hours and I've got a, a workplace as well, the study. So they know that during work hours, when I'm in the study, I'm at work or should be at work and shouldn't be disturbed. Now, that doesn't mean they can't come up and see me occasionally, and I often get a, a visit from Lauren when she gets home from school, and that's nice for me and nice for her, but it's something brief. We both know that it's just a, a quick visit to Dad, and we have a bit of a, a chat about Lauren's day, and then it's over until the end of my day. So that really helps productivity for me, and Cherie and Lauren know that that's the way that I work. And the thing I like about that, Chris, is that you've set it as a rule, but it's not a rigid rule. So if you're working in an office... Lauren wouldn't have that opportunity to, dis to disturb you for just that few minutes when she gets home from school, whereas here she does, 
and you do get that few minutes of dad and daughter time together, as well as on special occasions, you can break the rules without affecting anybody else. And so you can allow on, you know, like on Lauren's birthday on a, on a special thing, you may go off to see her in a concert or see her get an award and you get to break the rules because you made the rules. Exactly. Yep. It's not rigid. It's nice and flexible. Yeah, and you know, this is one of the things that comes up over and over again when I'm reading the work shifting blogs and other people talking about um, working away from the office. I mean, certainly some of the problems are working with their colleagues, but many of the problems are the problems that are due to other people around them who just assume that because you're working from home, they have the right to drop in and they have the right to call you at home on pers- uh, during the workday on personal stuff and things like that just because you happen to be working from home. They don't understand the importance of you still wanting to live a professional workday. Yeah. Okay, so we talked about the idea of being disciplined. So I think that's a, and that's a very big one. We spent quite a bit of time on that. The other thing is to be clear. So because you're not spending as much face-to-face time with your colleagues and because it's not as convenient for somebody to just pop pop their head over your cubicle and ask you to clarify something, you just need to be clearer about the, the tasks that you're collaborating on. And we mentioned this earlier in our talk about online collaboration. So some of the things that we said were like make sure that you do set clear goals and objectives right at the start. Make sure that everyone knows what their role is and what their responsibility is in a task and Given that everything's not going to be 100% clear, make sure that you've got regular touch points during the process so that you can check on, pro- uh, check on progress rather than waiting to the end to find out that somebody has delivered something that wasn't what you intended in the first place. Um, and also, of course, that means you also have to create the process along the way and, and agree on the process. So agree what the progress dates are, agree on how the reports are going to be sent to you in between how the interim work's going to be sent uh, sent to you so that you can keep track along the way. And this is not just to say that you're going to be a big brother and you're going to be over uh, micromanaging everything along the way. It's just a way of saying, look, this is imperfect communication, especially if we're new to this. So let's just let's just check in more regularly than we would if we were working in the same office. Yeah, I think that's especially important. Uh, the, the whole not working in the same office, not working face-to-face only increases the importance of having a formal process uh, to manage the way that people collaborate. Yep, yep, and I agree with that. I agree with the, that idea that it's a formal process, but don't try to make it a perfect process. Uh, so I think that 80-20 rule is a good rule to follow, Chris. I think that rather than trying to get everything 100% perfect, let's just assume that people are smart and competent and have the right intentions. So they're going to get 80% of the stuff right, so let's manage the other 20%. So assume that mistakes are going to happen, and you just need to you need to address them as they happen. And, and by the way, address them as soon as possible, rather than letting them grow. Because uh, especially in a work-shifting environment, you may not realize that the other person actually has a problem with something. So unless they tell you, you'll never find out. So why would you change your behavior unless you realize it's having a negative impact on somebody else? So as, as an example, if it's quite common in office meetings for people to turn up late. And uh, sometimes people invariably turn up late. And uh, if it's not too late, the other people in the meeting can chat and can get some something productive done before formally starting the meeting. But it becomes much more difficult in a work-shifting environment. So if you have a colleague who, say, always turns up 10 minutes late to a conference call and thinks it's okay because they're used to that in an office meeting, raise it as an issue. So don't allow it to become a habit. And, of course, that's good advice to get people to turn up on time to meetings, but in a work-shifting environment, everybody's marching to their own tune. They have a different work day. They're, they're doing different things. So I'll give you an example, which might sound trivial, but it's really important. So that 10 minutes where you are just waiting for somebody to turn up may have been the time you needed to put a bunch of dirty clothes in the washing machine, which means that by the end of the meeting, they'll be ready for you to take out and hang out on the line, which means that because it's the middle of winter and it's going to rain for the next three days, you're actually going to be able to get them dry before the rains arrive. Now, that just sounds like such a simple, prosaic example. However, in a work shifter's life, that is how their day normally works. It's not something that is less important than their work. It's as important because it's part of their life. And so you may not realize, particularly people who aren't work shifting, may not realize how much, an, how much of an impact something like that has, but it does. And so if you're the work shifter and you're being inconvenienced by somebody, if somebody else's behavior, realize that they're probably not doing it deliberately and it's your responsibility to raise this an issue to get it fixed. Absolutely. 
So this fifth principle, reward the outcome, not the process, I really like it, Gihan. It's one you've come up with and you've described it as practice management by objectives, not management by observation. So you've got a really good example of this uh, for working with ELADs. Yep, and that, and that phrase I think I got from a Wikipedia page that I found when I was doing some of the research around this, uh, and it's something that I have practiced for a number of years now. Uh, so, and as you said, there's an example with Elance. So when I outsource work to Elance, or even when I outsource my, outsource my website development to my to Eva and the help the help desk team, see, I don't really care when they do it, like whether they're doing it late at night, early morning, goofing off during the day, or I don't even care how long it takes them to do it. I mean, I do care if it takes too long because then they're going to get unhappy about it. But assuming that they, let's say they do it faster, I don't really care as long as it's done by the date that we agreed and to the standards that we agreed, that's fine. So uh, as an example, I have a transcriber who I send stuff to. She's in the US. She's in Texas, I think. So whenever I have an audio program that I want transcribed, I send it to her and she sends it back to me, say, two days later. But as far as I know, she could be outsourcing that work to a transcriber, say, in India, who does it for her cheaper, but maybe her English is, uh, maybe their English is not as good, so she then corrects the errors before she sends it back to me. Or she might be feeding it into some dictation software, and it does 80% of the work, and I think that's how many of the transcribers work. So it does 80% of the work, and so she only has to do a little bit of work to, before she sends it back to me. So in terms of her efficiency, she might be getting paid a very high hourly rate, but as far as I'm concerned, I'm paying her a fixed rate. I don't care whether it takes her 10 hours or 10 minutes. So I think that's the way to look at, if you're looking to move into a work-shifted environment, especially if you're the manager or you're the outsourcer, to think of your think of your life that way and think of the projects and the tasks that you're assigning to people that way. I think if you're managing the workplace, I reckon you should, you should be asking yourself this question as a manager. So if an employee of mine did a one-day job in two hours and then took the rest of the day off and went to the beach and didn't tell me, and then you found out, so would you be happy? Would you applaud the efficiency or would you criticize the attitude? You know, Would you go, no, this should come back to me and done some... I could have given them some more work. It's not their right to go off to the beach just because they did it faster. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess you've you've dealt with that, Chris, for the last ten years, where your your managers, your supervisors, and your colleagues kind of expect that you're going to deliver on time um, to the standards that they require without them having to worry about what time of the day you're working and how long it's going to take you. Yeah, incre increasingly so. Um, they know that I'm in GMT plus eight, so they're not expecting me to be working at the same hours as them. There's just a few hours of overlap, and that's time that we can use for scheduling meetings. Other than that, I'm free to do the work at whatever time I want. And I think, I think in some industries, like the tech industry in particular, that's become more accepted now. It's certainly not the norm, but it's certainly become more common and more widely accepted that people are going to be working in different time zones at their own pace, if you like, or at different times of the day. But there are some other industries where, uh, and some other professions and my, where the mindset is such that it's much harder to change. There's an organi organizational culture that has to be changed. And, uh, and I saw an interesting example of this recently. So the WA, so, uh, WA Western Australian Chief Justice Wayne Martin was recently speaking to Australian lawyers and he said, look, we need to find an alternative to this idea of billing clients on six-minute increments. It's not efficient. It's rewarding. In fact, it's rewarding inefficiency because if you take twice as long, you get twice as much money. And so we need to change that whole culture. And so how does that translate to a, how do we make that a results-based reward rather than a process-based reward. So I know, I know we're stepping a little bit out of the bounds of this particular podcast, but as we move towards a more work-shifting work culture, that's the sort of thing that needs to be addressed. It, it is. And let's move on to our last principle in this set of six, and that was to start small. So the idea that you don't try to shift 100% to a work-shifted environment on the very first day. So we've got uh, two areas. What can we do? Two, two steps that we can take. Uh, the first of that is the small step approach. Do you want to mention some examples there, Gihan? Yeah, ab absolutely. So the, the two are either take small steps or giant leaps. So in the small steps approach, what you do is you do things incrementally. So start by doing one or two easy things and then gradually expand your list so that not only you but the other people who are affected by by your shift uh, are more comfortable with it. So when I, for example, when I first started moving away from my home office, uh, I was still I still needed to be there for certain things. So, for example, for getting faxes. 
and uh, even trying to work away from the office. Uh, those are the times when I had expensive wireless, so you couldn't get that sort of cheap wireless access that's available now. I had my landline phone. And I had a physical, a physical fax machine back in the office. So when I was out of the office, I had to check. I could only check email a few times a day because I had to connect my um, internet card and then disconnect it. Otherwise, I'd keep getting charged. I had to keep checking my message bank at various times of the day to see if anybody's left me a phone message. And there was no way for me to just find out whether anyone had sent me a fax except to go back to the office. But now that I've got things like that untimed wireless access and Skype instead of Telstra uh, and I'm using Mbox for faxes, I can be completely mobile. I I can be on wireless all day. I can get my messages and um, faxes and phone calls coming to my laptop wherever I am. And um, it just means that I'm, I'm no longer tied to that office. But that only happened because I did step by step. Yeah, so it's that gradual improvement in technology and uh, the costs associated with that that have enabled that mobility, aren't they, Gihan? And that's something that I've experienced also in the the 10 years that I've been uh, telecommuting, that improvement in technology. So when I started out 10 years ago, I was using a dial-up modem, now I'm using broadband. There were no uh, facilities for secure access to the intranet that I work on, but now I use what's called a virtual private network that secures my communications back with the intranet. So it's this steady improvement in technology that's made uh, work shifting and telecommuting uh, easier for me to do. Yeah, exactly. And so that's a small steps approach. And in contrast, there's what we call the giant leap approach, which is to, okay, let's say, so what you're saying there is saying, okay, I can do lots and lots of small steps, but that's not going to get me where I'm going to, or maybe it's not going to get me there fast enough. So what's a giant leap that I could take? And we're recommending that you think of something when you're going to make a giant leap, think of something that's actually going to have a big impact. So think of something that really bugs you in your current work environment, which you, which could be improved by work shifting, and then fix it, even if you have to take a little bit of short-term pain. But the idea is to commit to fixing it, even if the fix isn't easy. And because you've chosen something that's going to have a, a long-term benefit, and maybe even a short-term benefit, as soon as you do it, you feel better about it, the reward is worth it, so you're actually going to persevere with it. Okay. You've got an example of uh, how you made a giant leap, Gihan. Actually, why don't you do your example first? Sure. sure. Well, when I first got into telecommuting, it was back in 2000. Shri and I were living and working as IT contractors in the UK, and uh, we wanted to come back to our hometown in Perth. Uh, and you know, so we both resigned to the idea that we'd give up our jobs, return to Perth, and pick up new jobs when we got back. And then I thought, well, well, no. I mean, I'm really enjoying this work that I do. It's it's my specialty. It's visualisation. I'm going to have real difficulty finding a visualisation job when I get back to Perth. So I spoke with my boss, and I said, you know, what's what's the possibility that when I go back to Perth, I can continue doing my job? And we thought about it, and he thought, you know, yeah, it's going to be difficult to replace you, Chris. Why don't we Why don't we give it a go and see how 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 it goes. So that meant a lot of work on both our parts. You know, he had to convince his seniors and uh, I had to take various bits of technology with me and set up a home office in Perth. But it all worked and here 10 years later I'm still telecommuting for this organisation and uh, hopefully I'll continue to do so. Yeah, and I think one of the really important points in that, Chris, is that it wasn't just a giant leap for you, but it was a collaborative giant leap. It was a giant leap for them as well. Presumably they didn't have many other workers, particularly at that time, working that way. That's right. You're right. Yeah, look, for me as well, one of the biggest leaps that I've taken in my business, apart from starting it, that was probably the biggest leap of all. But about three years ago, I was flying to Sydney every month. I was running public workshops in Sydney every month. Sometimes I'd take a side trip to Melbourne as well, running them there, which I really enjoyed the workshops, but I got to dislike the travel, as you can imagine, just flying there every month. As soon as I flew back, I was almost getting ready for the next trip and doing the marketing for the next workshop. So I decided to change the whole business model around that. So instead of me running these pretty highly paid workshops, what I decided to do instead was to start building up a membership. So my core business model changed from individual workshop payments. I think it was about $350 for each participant for a half-day workshop to a $50 a month membership, which then gave you access to all the things that I was offering, but I was no longer offering them face-to-face. So I started by doing teleseminars, and then the year after that, when webinars, the webinar technology became more accessible, I started doing webinars. And that was a big leap for me because it actually meant that I did forego some of that income, 
but I've started building up this membership site now and people now get access to me living a workshifted life with monthly webinars. And, and that's been a really big and positive shift. And, uh, but it was a giant leap when I first did it. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you've re-engineered your core business model around this workshifting idea. So it certainly is a good example of a giant leap. Yep, yep. And then you could say that you re-engineered your employment model as well, didn't yeah. you? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's it, Kihan. That concludes today's podcast. And I think we might have broken all records for Focal Point Podcasts. It's probably almost an hour that we've been chatting about this. Yeah, and, and worthwhile. I've really enjoyed it. And I think it's something that it's going to be really valuable for people because it's something that even if you don't completely change your life to work shifting life the way that you and I have, you might choose to make certain parts of your life more work shifted. And that's, I think that's only going to be a positive thing. And it's also only going to be something that's increasing in the, in the workforce and in the workplace from now on. That's good. So keep uh, your eye on the Focal Point blog. We'll have uh, some blog notes about some of the tools that we use and some of the ideas that we've talked about today on the Focal Point podcast blog. If you've got any tips of your own for work shifting, then please uh, leave comments on that uh, blog post as well. Great. And I'll have you back for another conversation in a couple of weeks' time, Chris. We will. Speak to you then, Gihan. Bye for now. You've been listening to the Focal Point Podcast. You can find us on the web at www.focalpointpodcast.com. Subscribe to the podcast, listen to our past episodes or leave us your comments or questions. We look forward to having you back next time.